Hi, I'm Will Roadhouse, and I'm the CEO of Roadhouse International and Compass Group International, and welcome to another episode of Retire in Thailand. Today's episode doesn't really have to do so much about retirement, should I say, about specific retirement. We're not really going to talk about cost of living. What I want to talk about is something a little bit different. Uh, we just got back from the beach area, uh, from spending some time in Jom Tien and also in Pattaya, and... I had some time to reflect, and one of the great things about uh, being in the beach area is that it's so peaceful, and when you're sitting there taking a walk in the morning or just sitting there at one of the beach chairs and just looking out into the ocean, gives you a lot of time to reflect, and I want to dedicate this episode about retirement life, about some things that a lot of people really don't think about is why, or should I say, is the importance of reflection. Reflecting your past, whether it's successes and failures. Uh, I want to talk about that and how that impacts uh, here in Thailand. And also, living for the moment. So many people live too far in the future. Some people live too far in the past. They can never get away or run away from their past. And... It doesn't, pers- it doesn't help them in looking into the future. And then there are some people who look too far in the future, they forget to live for the moment. And I want to talk about that. And also, I want to talk about some other things like giving back. Uh, some of the great things about Thailand is it gives you the opportunity for a lot of charitable giving and at a very, very low cost. And I want to talk about some of the organizations, some of the things that you can do here. So the first thing is, is that there's a wonderful quote that my brother would always tell me, and he would actually tell us everybody, which is, you don't have to catch fish to have a great day fishing. And again, you don't have to catch fish to have a great day fishing. My brother and I love to fish. We, uh, it was our passion ever since we were little kids, because you know, growing up in, in Taiwan and growing up uh, in Guam and Hawaii, uh, we, we always lived by the beach. And one of the things that we love to do every single morning in, in the crack of dawn is go out there and fish. And then we would fish again about two hours before it gets dark. And we always fish twice a day, especially in Guam. Uh, the fishing in Guam was, was amazing. And uh, we did a lot of fishing in Mexico. Uh, we obviously preferred saltwater fishing as opposed to freshwater fishing. But the thing is, is that that quote always has resonated in me. And it's so true because there are so many instances. And it's one of the reasons why we didn't really care too much for freshwater fishing because saltwater fishing, you're always going to catch something. You're always going to catch something. But in freshwater fishing, you can go through days, hours without catching anything. But you know what? My brother and I still loved it. And that's why he always came to the quote, which is, you don't have to catch fish to have a great day fishing. So I want to talk about living for the moment. And that's the one thing that a lot of people forget to do, live for the moment. For those of you right now that's under this pandemic, doesn't matter what part of the world you're in, but most likely you're English speaking. And whether you're homebound, you're by free will, not going out because of massive infection rates like the United States, which is past 6 million, approaching 7 million, or in the UK, like rising uh, new cases, 
or in Australia, New Zealand, there are some rising new cases. I think Melbourne uh, just went back into quarantine for a little bit. But it gives you time to reflect. And one of the things that I've noticed a lot of individuals is that they aren't living for the moment, especially when it comes down to very wealthy individuals. Very wealthy individuals look so far into the future and also dwell on the past. What I mean by that is, and I've, and I've met so many multimillionaires. I've only met one billionaire, but I've met so many multimillionaires that were worth for just a couple of million to hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, whether I was working for them, working with them, advising them, or just friends. And one of the things that I've noticed in common is a lot of these first-generation multimillionaires is that, yes, they have a fantastic work ethic, they have drive, they have focus, but part of that drive and focus is dwelling on a past failure. They have something to prove, whether it's a family member or friends or past love life uh, that they, that they uh, like a love, like someone they were in love with. And this individual didn't like them because they thought they were a loser. So they had to prove them wrong. And these individuals always have something to prove by working harder and harder and harder, accruing more and more wealth and material things because they are dwelling on a past label that they have of loser, of you're not going to account, you're not going to be anyone. And... That's not good because they, they dwell in the past and they think too much into the future. But they never live in a present. You know, when I was in wealth management at this financial institution, I would ask people because I became very, very close with my clients. And also when I left uh, the financial services industry to create my own uh, real estate consulting firm, and again, I would ask I'll get very close to my clients. Many of them become my very, very close friends and best friends. I would ask them, why are you still working? You've accrued enough wealth for many, many lifetimes. You came from nothing. You have nothing else to prove. Nothing else to prove. You've proven everyone wrong from your childhood to your family members to that woman that you were in love with that denied you because they thought she thought you're going to be a loser, you've proven them all wrong. So why are you still working this hard? And the majority of them replies because I know nothing else. Well, because I know nothing else. Work gives me joy. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I've seen you in action. You're frustrated, you're angry, you're going off on people. And you, you have a family, you neglect your family. It's like, why? Sometimes I would ask them, I'm very close. And I would ask them, why did you get married? Because you're neglecting your loved ones. Well, because I thought that I was the thing to do. I've already made my millions, the big house, big everything. So the next thing was, is to get married and have kids. To have a picture perfect life. But you're not having that picture perfect life. Because you're working 18 hours a day, seven days a week, traveling 300,000 to half a million miles a year. Your employees see you more than your family. So as Marie Kondo would say, is your work bringing you joy? 
They think it is. They think that their work brings them joy, but it's not. It adds them more and more stress. I said, and I and I said, you've proven everyone wrong. You have lots of money. Why not just have your second in charge take over, take a step down, and enjoy life? Or sell your company because it's at the prime right now. Enjoy life. Travel. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your kids. And you know what they say? I wouldn't know what to do. Majority of them say that. I wouldn't know what to do. Well, I wouldn't know what to do with retirement life. I, I don't know what I would do with my husband or with my wife or my kid. I don't know because I've never been there. I, I don't know. I think I'll be bored. I think I would need something to do. So that's where the biggest mistake comes in. Is for those individuals, if you are one of them, it doesn't matter even if you make millions or you don't make millions, you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you're working your butt off and you're neglecting your life. Is that how Thailand comes to play is, I've mentioned this so many times, if you are poor or considered poor in your country, like in North America, UK, Australia, New Zealand, or even Southern Europe, you're, you come to Thailand, you're rich. If you have a couple million dollars, you come to Thailand, you're super rich. If you have tens of millions of dollars and you come to Thailand, you're considered a billionaire. So you have more than enough to have an amazing lifestyle. So you have to ask yourself, enough is enough. It's time to live for the moment because you've worked your butt off the last five or even 50 years to accrue this empire, this build this empire. Now it's time to enjoy yourself. And if you think that work is what you enjoy, I think you are greatly mistaken because you haven't found true joy. You haven't found something that's interesting to you because you haven't experienced anything outside of work. You know, I mentioned this in a couple of my podcasts uh, and this happened, you know, a few years ago. I have a cousin of mine. It's about 10, 15 years. I mean, I see. I think it's about a little over 10 years older than I am. And he lived in Taipei, married, kids, great family. They hardly ever saw him. Created this real estate empire in Taipei worth tens of millions of dollars, worked every single day. His family, he would, he would pay and he would tell them to go on trips. They've been, they've traveled, they've done stuff, but he never got to enjoy that stuff. Then he neglected his health and got pancreatic cancer, was basically too late because it's already stage three and he passed Within, I think within five, six months. And on his deathbed, he said, I made all this money for nothing. I never got to enjoy it. And he didn't. My mother was very, very close to him. And he said, Auntie, I have all the money in the world and I have nothing to show for it. I didn't 
get to spend time with the family. I didn't get to travel like everyone else did. He didn't, yeah, I mean, his penthouse was worth millions of where they lived. But he was always in office, always working. So what joy did he have? And there are so many individuals like that. Even Steve Jobs, you know, as eccentric as he is and the genius that he is, he worked his butt off. And he was quite a hard manager based on the books that I've read about him, always going off on people, very short-tempered, but he expected the best of people. But he basically uh, bought a yacht, or actually had a yacht built for him. And he didn't get to enjoy his yacht because he died before it was completed. So the thing is, is that doesn't matter what financial category you're in. As I mentioned, is that if you had a couple hundred thousand dollars and you bought a property here, buy multiple properties with even fifty thousand dollars, so your property debt, you have no property debt, your homes are free and clear here in Thailand. All you really need, depending on your age group, is between three hundred thousand and half a million dollars per person to have an amazing life here. And if you're a person worth Millions or tens of millions of dollars, you could have a killer life here. And the thing is, you're never going to be bored because it's all new adventure. And travel and traveling around neighboring countries is an adventure. A lot of people have this bucket list thing. And I've never been a big on bucket list because people write it down, but they never do it. It's like, it's like those New Year's resolutions. I have goals. So when, when I teach one of my classes, which is goal setting, I make it very simple for people. I said, what we're going to do today during this first half of the day for goal setting, I'm going to teach everyone how to properly create goals. Because most people, it's like a bucket list. They have like 10, 15, 20 goals. And at the end of the following year, none of it gets completed. None of it gets complete because they have too many of them. And a bucket list, the same exact thing. How many of you have bucket lists? Rich, poor, it doesn't matter. Everyone has a bucket list some way, somehow. They never go. I know very, very wealthy individuals saying, oh, man, I wish I could go to Thailand. It's on my bucket list. Well, you're rich. You own your company. Why don't you? Oh, I don't have the time. Like I said, you're rich, you own your own company, why don't you? You do have the time, you just don't want to make the time. Because you think it's an opportunity cost to leave for two weeks to go to a place like Thailand, or go to a place like Fiji, go to a place like Spain, or even Costa Rica. You think it's an opportunity cost because you're gone those two or three weeks, you're losing money, but you're not. What you're losing is life. You know, one of the things that my brother, uh, I've learned so much from my brother. He teaches me so much. Uh, my brother, uh, basically like borderline genius, uh, was going to be a doctor. But unfortunately, his freshman year in college, he was hit by a drunk driver. Pretty much ruined his life. So my brother had massive traumatic brain injury, grand mal seizure, short-term memory loss, could never go back to school, could never drive. I mean, just ruined his whole world. And my brother told me one time in our conversation, he would say, you know what, you're very lucky 
that you can remember stuff. I'm like, what do you mean? Because my brother basically wouldn't remember what he had for breakfast. That's the traumatic brain injury he had. It's short term. His last remaining memory was basically about junior in high school. But after his junior in high school, freshman or sophomore year in high school, he pretty much couldn't remember anything else. And that, that, that really, that really was very, very tough on him. And when I, and when he said, you're lucky, I understood what he meant because life is actually very, very simple. And there's so many people that are seeking life and seeking what's the meaning of life. And what I'm about to tell you has nothing to do with religion. It's, it actually comes down to very, very simple things in talking to people that, in, that literally in their deathbed, to people that have been successful, people that are successful, people that are poor, and so forth. Life really comes down to one very, very simple thing. And that simple thing is accruing and experiencing as many great things that life has to offer creating as many great memories as you can, experiencing as many new things that you can. Because why? Because think about this. The battered wife that, get, that gets beat up by her drunk husband every single night, and then when they ask the battered wife, why didn't you call the cops? Why didn't you tell anybody? Well, because I forgive him. What do you mean you forgive him? He beats you like two or three times a week or even every night. Well, because I remember, I remember the good times we had. I remember when we first met. He was a different man back then. He was so kind and so gentle, so compassionate. And, and we did so many great things. But yeah, unfortunately, he started doing drugs and started drinking. And, but I remember about those times. And I think that that person is still inside of him. You hear that all the time. Human beings, by nature, by default, will always default to a wonderful memory during hard times. So when you're listening to this right now, all that work that you're putting in, how many great memories have you truly had? And are your great memories just closing deals? Oh yeah, great memories. Close this deal, close that deal. And I, and I helped my employee do this. We expanded to different multiple continents. We're growing like leaps and bounds. That to me is not a great memory. That's just work. A great memory is like one of my one of my one of the great experiences I've ever had when I was in Madrid, Spain. I'm a huge foodie. And there's a restaurant called Botin. And Botin is the oldest known restaurant on this planet that's been open consistently. And that restaurant is over 100 years old and it's located in the Plaza Mayor in Madrid. And I said, I'm going to eat there. So I remember so vividly, you know, I was in my hotel. I hop on the high-speed rail. It dropped me off. And then it was roughly about maybe a 10, 15-minute walk to Plaza Mayor. Or actually, it was only a 10-minute walk to Plaza Mayor. My hotel, the concierge already made a reservation for me. And I think they opened like at 5.30. And there was already a big long queue of people waiting. And here I am by myself. Everyone's with their husband, their wife, their kids, and their family. I'm the only one by myself. And I'm not that type of person. 
but I'm glad now because I, can, I now have a wife to do that kind of stuff with, which is even better. So here I am by myself. I'm dressed nice because it's a very well-known, respected restaurant. And then they usher us in. And then, and then what happened was, I'm sorry, I got to shut these phones off. And uh, so they usher us in. And then the top level, so it's like three levels. So you, so they, you know, all the, you know, the, the first level is like the bigger tables. Then you have your second level. Then I went all the way down these rickety old stairs and the place is so tiny, you know, cause as you know, anything in Europe, because there's so much history, a lot of stuff is really small. Like hotel rooms are small, restaurants are small. So I'm walking up those rickety stairs and now here I am like this underground cavern and it almost feels like I'm in a cave. Like this used to be the wine bar or this used to be the, where they stored wine, the wine storage. So I get down in this cave and there are many tables and here I am seated at this little table for two and I'm sitting there and obviously I ordered the special, which is the roasted suckling pig. And to this day, it's still the best roasted suckling pig I've ever had in my life. So it's roasted suckling pig with potatoes and I ordered, which basically now is very very hard to find now, which are these baby eels that sauteed in olive oil and garlic. Right now to get that, it's like $100. Back then it was, it was about half the price. So I'm like, I got to get that because I saw Andrew Zerman on Bizarre Foods get it. It looked good. So all those two things. And then I had a half craft of a wine, of their house wine. And it's one of the best, most memorable meals I ever had. Every single bite I savored and it just, I remember the crispiness of the pork skin. I remember looking at others, the tourists that were there, you know, the couples that were seated in a romantic dinner and the families that were there. Obviously they're all looking at me like, here's this guy sitting by himself. I'm okay with that. I remember the kind of the musky kind of smell of that little, of the, of the cavern that I was in where I dined. I remember the lighting was very yellowish. And then I remember uh, digging into those little baby eels and just, oh, it was just, it wasn't as fishy. I could taste uh, the, the sweetness of, of the eels, the hint of olive oil and the garlic, not too garlicky. And it was just an amazing bite. And then even the house wine was excellent. But it was such a memorable experience. And, and here I am telling myself, because I was there for a real estate show, one of the largest real estate shows in the world. And after I had dinner, while I was, actually when I was eating dinner, I'm like, I wish my family was here. I wish my mom and dad and my brother were here. My parents, my brother had been to Spain many times, but they never ate a poutine. They've been to Plaza Mayor, done all the tapas and all that stuff, but they never did poutine because they didn't know about it back then. But I wished my family was there. I could share this experience with them. And then when I was done, uh, I took my time. I ate for about an hour and a half. And most people, when you're dining by yourself, probably be done in about 30 to 40 minutes. I ate an hour and a half. And actually, I think I had two crafts of wine. Then when I was done, I just kind of walked around Plaza Mayor uh, and, uh, 
you know, had, had an espresso and then I had some tapas and had some more wine. Fantastic evening. Now that's a memory. That's an experience that I will never, ever forget. Not closing a big deal. I've closed many, many multi-million dollar deals. I don't, I don't savor those moments because there's nothing to be savored. It's just work. But this travel adventure, that's, a, that's something that I will never forget. Like here in Thailand. There are so many first-time experiences that I've had here in Thailand that I will never forget. So please, during this time is, look at your life. Look at where you are. And live for the moment. Because if you already have the money available, why are you still working? What else, what else is there to accrue? You've already proven everyone wrong. Well, now it's time for you to live your life. Time to you spend more time with your family and savoring and accruing these wonderful memories instead of living in the past. And that comes to my next topic, which is living in the past. I'm a huge believer of running away from your problems. I did it. You know, there's an old saying, I don't know where it came from, but it always says that you are basically the mirror image of the closest three or four people in your group. So if you hang out with losers, you're going to be a loser. If you hang out with drug addicts or alcoholics, you're probably one of them too. If you're around successful people and intelligent people, you're probably the same. If you're around nice people and compassionate people, you're probably the same. If you're around just jerks, arrogant jerk-offs, you're probably the same. And I truly believe in that. Truly believe in that. Well, growing up, I had a wonderful set of friends. A wonderful set of friends. They were my confidants. They were my support group. But growing up, uh, I had my problems like any kid. You know, with your parents. You know, uh, overly protective parents. Overly determined parents. Asian parents that if you don't have straight A's, you're basically an idiot. I never had straight A's, so I had the bad grades. And it was very, very hard going to that environment. And, and then also growing up, in a, I grew up in Tucson, Arizona, and it was hard to grow up in an environment where it's very middle class and people think of middle class stuff. They don't think of anything bigger. Very few people I ever talked to thought of becoming a multimillionaire and doing this and doing that and owning this. Very few. And it wasn't a good environment for me. It's you know not that I didn't have good friends. I had great friends, like I said. But it's just not the environment for me because that's just not me. I needed to do bigger and better things. And also, I wanted to prove my parents wrong. That I wasn't going to grow up to be a loser because I got bad grades. And I wasn't going to become a doctor like my brother. So what I did was, after college, I ran away and I went to California by myself um, being very fortunate to be recruited by a huge financial institution. Very, very lucky. Because I started working at a bank while I was in high school. And then just over many, many mergers, I, uh, our company merged with, or actually bought out this bank. And then it thus brought me to California. California is when I really changed. I was there by myself. Aside from living in the dorms, really, truly the first time I ever lived by myself. 
and everything. I had to be independent, take care of myself. And that's when I changed. New set of friends, new environment, being around people that are very, very successful bankers, becoming my mentors, becoming people to shape me who I am today. For an example, I will never forget uh, my early mentor. And she was my manager. Part of my foundation of who I am today, I have her to thank. She shaped me into the person I am, to the manager that I am, to the way I lead people, to the way I manage people, to the way I am compassionate towards others, uh, work ethic, decision-making, strategic thinking, critical thinking, pretty much all stem from her. Because prior to that, never had those skills. Never had those skills. Self-confidence, public speaking. Public speaking was my biggest fear in my life. Obviously, now it isn't. Not just being able to speak to thousands of people, being on TV, like on House Hunters International, for almost a decade. Like I said, my foundation was from this financial institution. And within this financial institution, I had great mentors like her to shape me to who I am today. So the thing is, is that why I'm a huge should I say cheerleader, for running away from your problems is because how are you going to get away from your problems when you are stuck in this bad and terrible environment? There are so many individuals I see, especially, and again, in, in, a, in a wealthy, because I, those are pr- pretty much my clientele, 100% of my clientele is working with wealthy individuals. They're always stuck in environments that... And they say it so many times. God, I hate being around these douchey people. God, these people are jerks. God, these people are just freaking arrogant. Well, why are you with them? Why are they your friends? And one of the worst, absolute worst, is, and it puzzles me to this day, I don't understand these train of thoughts. Here are these individuals, you may be one of them listening, is that you've worked so hard to build this empire, to crew this wealth, just to marry the wrong person that makes your life worse and to be around people that are just simply leeches. They're only with you because you're rich, because you have the exclusivity, because you have the ticket to get them to places where they can be seen. I don't get it. I don't get, I don't understand these leeches. But they're, you always see them. You always see this entourage of leeches. That's just a horrible environment to be in. Or even individuals that, you know, you're just kind of stuck. You're the most successful people. I never like being the smartest person in a room or the most successful people in a room. I'd rather be the poorest person in the room and the least intelligent people because I'm going to learn from others. You know, when I moved to Newport Beach to my dream, my first dream home, I was, obviously everyone in my community were multi-millionaires and there were a couple billionaires too. And I was the poorest person, the poorest kid, and I was the youngest too, uh, in that community. And I know this because a developer told me. He's like, he's like you know, because he, he chose very specific of the 21 families that he wanted in this development in Newport Beach. And, he, and I remember one time we were talking, he's like, well, do you know why I chose you? I said, why? He's like, because you got fire, 
even though you're the poorest one, you make the least money out of all of them, you got fire. You're the youngest person here. You, got, you have something to be proud of. I said, thank you. But the thing is, is that I didn't like being in an environment. I, I, after a while, I despised being Newport, and I just had to leave. And I'm happier for leaving. I left Tucson, Arizona to be, to be around people that's going to help me with my confidence. Because my Tucson group didn't do that. My Tucson friends didn't help build confidence. They were there when I was very down, but didn't help build confidence. They're a great support group. They didn't help me become more intelligent. But when I moved to California, all these things came through. I started learning. I, started, I became a voracious reader. My IQ went up. And my emotional intelligence went up. And then, and then after a while, when, a success, when I had the success in California, I had to leave that environment because I was tired of being around these leechy type of people. They just want to be around you because you're rich. And that's why I'm saying to those listening to that now, to this now, if you're one of those individuals, I don't blame you. If you truly are saying this to yourself and saying this to other people, God, I just have a horrible set of friends. I, I, I don't respect any of these people. Then leave. Leave. Absolutely just leave. Because you can leave your troubles behind and start a whole new life. Just like the people that, you know, suicide is increasing every single year, especially in the United States. Suicide rates just increasing. Why? Because people are miserable. People are miserable in the United States. So I, anyone that's thinking that's suicidal, I can tell you this. If your life is absolutely in the pits and you're thinking of jumping off a building, before you do that, before you do that, Come here to Thailand. Spend six months here. Three to six months here. I don't think you're going to commit suicide. Because your life will be better here. You're going to meet new people. Meet more compassionate people. Your depression may slowly dissipate. That's one of the things I love about Thailand. It has something to offer for everybody. Rich, poor, happy. Even if you're already happy, you come here, you're even happier. If you're depressed and suicidal, you come here, you're probably not going to be too depressed anymore. And then now, the people that think too far into the future. There are individuals that I know that are so goal-oriented. So goal-oriented. You know, I didn't finish. I'm sorry for skipping around, but when I said earlier that I used to teach a class about goal-setting and people add too much to their goals. When I, when I put a class together, I'm teaching individual and goal-setting, I, I say, I only, I'm going to give you only two goals or I want you to give yourself only two goals. You're going to have one goal for professional life and one goal for, profe for personal life. And most of the time, I'll give you an example, the personal goal is going to be weight loss. Now, weight loss, we're going to plan by quarter, by month, by week, and by day on how on your tasks that you're going to assign yourself 
to achieve that goal. Whether it's losing 15 pounds, gaining muscle, losing 100 pounds. And then on your one work goal, what is your one work goal? If your one work goal is to make a million dollars, that's fine. Let's assign the tasks by quarter, by month, by week, by day, that's going to help you achieve that. It's a process that people don't do. They just mindlessly, oh yeah, these are my goals. I gotta lose 20 pounds. I'm gonna make a million dollars. I even had one guy said, oh, I'm, a, I'm gonna make a million, I'm, I'm gonna make a billion dollars. How are you gonna do that? I don't know yet. Okay, well, that's not a, really a goal then. That's just, that's what I call wishful thinking. So there are individuals, and you might have met them too, that think so much into the future. They plan, 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 go after, go after, go, but they never succeed any of these goals. Never. They're just really good at goal setting. That's it, writing goals down. Just like the people, and, and there are people like this, that are hooked on going to like these Tony Robbins type of rah, rah, rah seminars. They're hooked on that emotionally. They go to the seminar, for one day or for one week, and they have this, they just get pumped. They feel, so, it's like a drug, this adrenaline that flows through them. And then after about a month or two, they get depressed again. They have to find another seminar. I haven't met too many of these type of people, but I have met them, that they're just planners, but they don't execute. They plan, plan, write, write, plan, plan, write, write. But they don't execute anything. And everyone will tell you, every major billionaire, multimillionaire will tell you, is that everybody has a great idea, but nobody executes. That's the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire as opposed to those that aren't. They execute. So if you're one of those people that you're planning for retirement. Yeah, I'm gonna retire, I'm gonna retire at this age. See, I'm 45 years old right now, and I'm gonna retire when I'm, when I'm 65. I'm gonna do, that's great. That's great to plan that. But the thing is, what I think you're failing to do, if you already have the money, the finances, to retire, if you're planning for retirement in the 60s, why can't you do it in your 50s? Why can't you do it now? And there are a lot of you that can. There's one, um, there's, there's an individual friend of mine, and, uh, and, and I commend him for it. He's basically dropping his American life and getting a one-way ticket here to Asia because he knows that this is going to be his next home. He's done. He has some problems, drama in the States that he's done. He lives in the East Coast. He's done. I have another friend that lives in the West. Same. He's done. When the international uh, restrictions lift, one-way ticket to Thailand, he's done. And there are very few people like that. And... That's what I'm hoping this podcast, this episode is going to do, is help you really strategically think about your life. If your life is great, well, why can't it be better? 
And if you think your life is great, is it truly great? Because some people have the misconception. They're like, my life is great. Oh, that's good. Well, tell me about your life. And obviously to each their own, to each their own, but it doesn't sound like a very good life to me. It sounds like they picked, they painted a different picture in their head as opposed to how great their life is, but the actions and the stuff they're actually doing does not paint the same picture that they're imagining. Does that make sense? And there are, there are so many people like that, just miserable. And America is full of that, which is, which is pretty sad. Supposedly the most powerful country in the world, the richest country in the world, but you have people that are going to be seriously homeless very soon. You have horrible health care, and you have an increasing rate of suicide rates, and you have an increasing rate of alcoholism, drug abuse, violent crime, of all first world countries. So what is wrong with that picture? I think the picture has to do with people are not truly looking at their life and analyzing their life to see if their life is improving year after year. Instead, it's a horrible life and it gets and it deteriorates year after year because they're not making any of the changes they have to. And what it comes down to is being scared. There are individuals I talked to that were friends saying, God, I commend you. Can't believe you just pick up and move to Costa Rica or pick up and move to Thailand. Isn't that scary? No, nothing scary about that. There's absolutely nothing scary about that. There are individuals that are so scared to change restaurants. How many people have you met Every single Friday, like clockwork, they go to the same restaurant and order the same exact dish, and they've been doing that for the last two decades. That, to me, is not happiness. That, to me, is boredom. And that, to me, is repetition by habit because of fear. Fear of trying something else in a menu, the fear of going to a different restaurant. I remember a long time ago, before sushi even got popular in the States, when I would eat sushi, people would be like, oh, that's so gross. You eat raw fish? Oh, it's so disgusting. Oh, God, a consistency. How can you do that? It's so disgusting. Isn't it like unhealthy to eat raw food like that? And all of a sudden, you know, decades later, sushi started to get really popular. It's just because people are afraid of change. And that's one of the things that during this pandemic of what I'm hoping that you can do to change is that these podcasts, I'm helping you to realize there's no fear in change. Change is actually good. Because if you're not changing, you're not living. You know, I remember... uh, friends from high school and I talked to a couple of them and they're like, you're still in great shape. I got fat. And I'm like, oh, well, why don't you go to the gym? Oh, I don't have time for it. Oh, yeah, you do. No, I don't. Yeah, okay, well, let's go over your schedule and I bet you I'll find time. You don't do it because you're not motivated and you don't want change. 
and it, obviously I don't do it quite as combative, like I just said. But the thing is, is that I've stayed fit. I'm, I'm approaching 50. I've stayed fit all my life because I never stopped exercising. I never stopped. I always found time to do it. And some people give themselves excuse. Oh, I moved. I don't know where the gym is. The gym's far away. I don't want to go to a new gym. I'm uncomfortable with that. Or they'll say, oh, I just don't have time because I have kids. I have work. Yeah, I, I bet you have time. I bet you have 30 minutes. I can find time. Then if you go to Craigslist and freaking buy a $100 uh, bike, you can park it in front of your TV. And I bet you can find 30 minutes to jump on that bike every single day. Since they don't want to do it. Because of fear and laziness. But the thing is, is that there's so many people too that says, oh God, I've always wanted to move out of this country. I've always wanted to move to Thailand. I hear that a lot. I've always wanted to move to Well, why don't you? Well, you know, you know, I don't know. I, I went there a long time ago. I fell in love with the country. I've always wanted to go back and I think of a great place to live. But I just don't know how and I don't think I can. Yeah, you can. There's nothing that's stopping you. You have the money. We talked about that. You have the finances. And your kids are pretty much, within the next year, going to be in college. You're going to be empty nesters. So why don't you? Well, I'm going to be away from them. And, you know, my parents are getting older. That's not an excuse. My parents are old too. They're like, go. There's always an excuse for everything. But you have to look within yourself. Everybody has their own lives. Your kids, when they go to college, they're going to be independent adults and have their own life. Your parents, they're senior citizens, but they're not going to die tomorrow. They're going to die, you know, very soon. You can still make trips to come see them. They can come visit you. Nothing changes. It's just their fear of change. I, am, as a business owner, I had to embrace change. You know, when the financial crash happened back in 08, 09. My business literally within six months went to zero. Why? Because I was working with developers and I was working with real estate in Costa Rica. So now nobody can take out and do cash out refis to buy a second home in Costa Rica. And developers that were getting approved for loans for these big developments, these banks were going bankrupt. So my business went to zero in less than six months. Zero, nothing. So what I had to do was I had to gather my thoughts, laid off people, and then my business partner and I, what did we do? We never gave up. Tried this, didn't work. Okay, let's try this, didn't work. Okay, let's try this, didn't work. Okay, let's try this, didn't work. Okay, let's try. I don't know how many times it had to have been 20 or 30 times that we've changed our business plan to focus on different things and attempt to try new things that didn't work. Sometimes successful, sometimes they weren't successful. But that taught me not to fear change. A change is good. That those that fear change, all those brokerages, they all went bankrupt. They're not even there. But we, we're still around. Basically surviving two crashes. So the crash of 08, 09, and then now. We're still doing well. Because we're making the changes. And that changes is, is switching directly to commercial real estate. 
getting out of Latin America and focusing here in Asia, here in Thailand. Do you think it was easy for me to basically give up over a decade of focusing in Central America, but specifically in Costa Rica, to say, there's no more opportunity here. I need to go find new opportunities. Do you think it was easy to come all the way here to Asia and try to find new? No, it's not. It's very, very tough. Most people basically pack up and just go home and go get, go freaking just become a regular broker in the States. But no, I said, uh-uh, I'm gonna go find some more opportunities because Asia is, is growing with wealth. There has to be opportunities there. Came here, studied the market for years and years and years, and now suddenly we have all these hotel listings and relationships with developers. Took a long time, but we're here. There's always opportunities to better your life. Even if it's better now, there's always opportunities to make it better. And if you're miserable, I guarantee you, there are so many ways Thailand would make your life better. So I guess everything comes down to one thing. Like my brother says, you don't have to catch fish to have a great day fishing. What you have to do is live in a present. Look at the future, but live in a present. Learn from the past, but live in a present. Don't wait till tomorrow to retire. If you've already have the money, you can do it now and start accruing those amazing experiences, those life experiences that you've always dreamed of, those things that you've always had in your bucket list for decades and decades you haven't crossed off. You can do that now. There's no reason to wait. If you're the individual and your business had to close down because of this pandemic, instead of rebuilding, why not do it here? Why not do it here? It's not, there's nothing scary about it. You'll see for yourself. There's no language barrier. If you listen to my podcast, there's no language barrier. As long as you're in a major city like, like in Bangkok or you're in Hua Hin or even Pattaya, Jiam Tien or even Phuket, everybody speaks English. Not a, there's no language barrier. Standard of living, much higher, much higher than any Western country. Much higher. You're like, well, that can't be right because that's a second world developing country. It can't be. Yeah, okay. We have some potholes. Yeah, we have some homes that are, low, that are older in some regions. But you don't have the infrastructure. That's the one thing when you look at Europe and you look at, especially in the United States. The United States is under 300 years old. And look at our infrastructure. We don't have anything that's propelling the United States into the next century, like high-speed rail lines, like you see in Asia. Because in Asia, they went from they were going from third world country to second world developing country, and the infrastructure is getting improving better and better and better. Where in the states and Europe, the stuff is so freaking old, especially in Europe, you can't really you're not making things better because you can't you have to tear stuff down. Nobody wants to tear stuff down; it's so expensive. The only place, the only really true city that you see America propelling into the next, next millennial is Las Vegas. 
yeah, Las Vegas is actually a really good example. You know, they're supposed to be this ultra green, lead certified community being developed on the south end of the Strip. Uh, there's a high-speed rail line that's, that's uh, partnering with Virgin uh, that's supposed to come from California to Las Vegas. Uh, the Allegiant uh, Stadium uh, for the Raiders is going to be the first class and most technologically advanced stadium in the world. And then you have Madison Square Garden, which is building the, the, the spear off the Strip, which is going to be the most advanced uh, convention center in the world. You're seeing things in Las Vegas. And how is Las Vegas able to do that? Because there's land. There's lots of land to develop on. We see high-density places like New York and L.A., uh, you know, Dallas and Houston, Atlanta. They don't quite have the land because these downtowns, these areas are so condensed. And it's such a high population of people that live there. It's very hard to add these infrastructure pieces to it. Where in Asia, you're seeing stuff that you've, you don't see in Western countries. The transportation here is beyond anything in any of these Western countries. I can have anything delivered 24-7 in, in Thailand, in Bangkok. Why? Because everyone has motorcycle taxis. I can call a motorcycle taxi like Grab Food, Line Man, any Food Panda to deliver anything, not just food, anything, documents. You drop your cell phone, the screen broke, you call the provider that's going to fix it for you, you call the line man, they pick up your phone from your condo, your home, they deliver it, get it fixed, and you get the person to deliver it back to you without ever having to set foot in your car or set foot in on the BTS. And look at restaurants. I just read an article that the, what casino is this? I think it's a wind casino just recently announced that they are going to close their buffet indefinitely. And then I think the Caesars, which is my favorite freaking buffet, like in Las Vegas, which is the Bacchanal Buffet, is also closing indefinitely. That is just effing crazy. Here in Thailand, all the buffets are open. They've just put into precautions to make it safe. Using plexiglass, using people, uh, you know, servers for you. Why can't it work in Las Vegas? It's certainly working here. But for some odd reason, I don't understand it's not why, it's, why it's not being implemented in places like the United States. Living here is propelling to the 21st century. It's different. The life is better. Yes, you, you may think that, oh, it's a second world country. It's not. And when you go to a very wealthy Asian country like China or Taiwan or Japan, Korea or Singapore, oh, Singapore specifically. Does anyone watch the show Westworld? It's my favorite. It's one of my favorite shows ever. Westworld season three, majority of it has to be filmed in a very futuristic city. And they searched all over the globe for a futuristic city. And you know what city they pick? Singapore. If you have the money, wonderful place to live and wonderful place to invest. Put a lot of money, bought a lot of real estate for my clients in Singapore. But that's Asia. We're growing by leaps and bounds in technology and the way we live. 
where Western countries are basically still behind. Latin countries, oh, they're way behind. African countries are still in the, still in the Stone Ages. Asia is going to be the forefront of technology and how human beings live in the future. It is going to be the roadmap, and we're seeing it now. And you will love life here. You will never, ever be bored. So I know this podcast is long, but thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for taking this journey with me because I want to share it with you. And I hope to see you in Thailand very soon. Oh, there is one more thing that I forgot, which was given back. Uh, one of the things, too, is that I highly recommend is that if you're in Thailand, there's so many wonderful opportunities to give back to charities. And one of the things that my wife and I love to do is visiting orphanages. Uh, you may see some of our videos. We've visited the Orphanage Foundation of Thailand, which is located here in Bangkok. And we bought lunch for all the orphans for that day. And it's so inexpensive. Uh, you know, children are our future. And I always feel that if there's an opportunity to give back, it should be to children. One of my favorite and really the only charity that I love to give back to in the States is St. Jude's. St. Jude's is a wonderful charity and I always do what I can to, uh, to give when I'm in the States to give back to St. Jude's. But here in Thailand, if you are here in Thailand, it's just simply just Google it. You can, if you're in Bangkok, Google the Orphanage Foundation of Thailand. Or if you're in Chiang Mai or Phuket, there are orphanages located not just in Thailand, but every single country. If you have the opportunity before you leave on a vacation, is just Google a local orphanage, contact the people, the organizers, the people that look after these children, and see how you can help. Whether it's buying lunch for them, uh, buying food for them, for an example, like in Costa Rica, we visited this very small orphanage and we bought food for the for the, all the girls and the nuns for one month. And it was like less than 100 bucks. Or if they want something like um, toys, or maybe you want to bring them a small like Chromebook or something like that, or even DVDs, uh, books to read. But just simply Googling and sending an email to these individuals and asking them what they want. And your generosity goes such a long way. And the thing, too, is one of the reasons why we love visiting and helping orphanages is because when you're sitting down eating lunch with these children and you're hearing from the nuns or the people that look after these children, their background, like where they came from, you know, their, their parents were murdered, their parents died in a car crash, there's no other relatives, their parents are in jail, their parents just couldn't care for them anymore. It's just so sad. It is, And it makes you realize that all the material things that you ever want is so insignificant when you're spending time with an orphan. All they want is someone to care for them. All they want is to feel loved. And even such a simple little thing, like bring them a DVD or CD of one of their favorite pop stars or bring them a little toy, or taking them to movies, it really goes a long way. And their smile is something that you will never, ever forget. So I apologize. I forgot to mention this earlier, but I also want to add this to the podcast. So thank you so much again for joining me, and we'll see you in Thailand.